Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Hello everyone, it's here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Pat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So let me just <laughs> let me just uh, tell you the last sentence Cat said before uh, we turned the mics on. Uh, <laughs> she said. I just don't think replacing my entire wardrobe with avian-themed clothing is being financially responsible. I had to write that one down. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to preserve it exactly as you said it. <laughs> it's not inaccurate. <laughs> what I said is true. She's, uh, she's currently going through uh, a number of uh, bird-themed clothing sites on yes. Etsy. I saw a sweatshirt. This is what started it. I saw a sweatshirt on a girl that was doing a TikTok that had two geese on it, and mm. it said honkers. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I just was like, this is... <laughs> This is now who I want to be. It's how I want to live my life. But well, it's going to have to be a slow, you know, because I'm very frugal. Well, we yes. we all yeah. know this. Yeah. So it's going to have to be really slowly integrating geese and other fowl related clothing into my wardrobe. Yeah. It's the it's the barnyard fowl spring and summer collection <laughs> by Katrina Walls. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. Well, I know you're going to be excited about this topic because it's about UFOs. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but it's it's kind of an interesting twist on it. UFOs has certainly fascinated and intrigued people for decades. And some believe those sightings are evidence of extraterrestrial life. But there are other theories as to the origin of unidentified flying objects. One is that they are time machines and that the aliens are just us from the future oh very creative and i love that and i'm gonna do an episode on that at some point oh okay because i do love me some time travel theories uh but there's another explanation by some people as to the origin of this phenomenon no. did you just put that on the button bar just thought it would be handy to have <laughs> nearby 
All right. Well, of course, we all know UFOs simply mean unidentified flying object. Right. It's an object that's seen in the sky that we can't be identified and or cannot be identified. And when we say UFO now, as people, we always think it means spaceship from another planet <laughs> when it just means it's something in the sky and right. we don't know what it is. Yeah. Many of the UFO sightings are later explained as natural phenomena. <laughs> or hoaxes, uh, there've also been many sightings that remain unexplained. If we're being honest though, for me, most things are UFOs because <laughs> I can't identify, I mean, anything in the sky, I'm like, I don't know what that is. They're geese. Oftentimes these sightings involve uh, objects or craft that appear to be moving at high speeds or make sudden unexpected movements. In some cases, witnesses report seeing entities or beings associated with these objects. Mm. There are some that think that these are not extraterrestrial beings. And there are many reasons for this. Even people who want to believe that uh, it's something that we can't explain. Uh, one of the biggest challenges to this theory is the sheer distance between Earth and other potentially habitable planets. Even if there is other intelligent life out there, which <laughs> clearly there is, uh, the chances of them finding their way to Earth seem to be somewhat slim because when you look at our position in the galaxy, we're on like the outer arm of a backwater. We're like way the hell out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, but that's assuming that habitable means what we think habitable means. And that is a good point. In addition, though, there's the problem of why these beings would be interested in visiting Earth in the first place. Valid. So getting to our topic today the extra-dimensional hypothesis. So given the challenges associated with extraterrestrial uh, hypothesis, some theorists suggest that UFOs may come from another dimension as opposed to another planet. Oh, okay. This theory is known as the dimensional hypothesis, or DH. And DH suggests that UFOs, they're not physical craft, from other planets, but rather manifestations of entities that exist in another dimension. Uh-huh. And according to the theory, these entities may be able to manipulate time and space, allowing them to enter our world and interact with us, essentially changing the vibration of their existence. So one of the main arguments in favor of the DH is the idea that there are many dimensions beyond the three that we're able to perceive obviously. And according to string theory, for example, there may be as many as 11 dimensions. <laughs> 11? 11. While we cannot perceive these dimensions directly, some theorists suggest that they may be accessible in other ways. Um, so 11 just seems like such a rando number. Yeah. Like there could be as many as 11. What does that even mean? I don't know, but uh, Brian Green has a really good uh, PBS special on... Um, dealing on string theory, and, and it talks a lot about uh, the reasons why scientists believe that there are as many as 11 dimensions. All right. It's way above my pay grade, though, I'll <laughs> tell you that. There are many reports of UFO sightings that suggest that these objects are able to move in ways that uh, defy the laws of physics as we understand them. You hear reports of of UFO craft traveling at ridiculously high speeds that our bodies couldn't withstand mm. and then immediately and instantaneously stopping on a on a dime essentially or whatever the equivalent of a dime is in their dimension mm. 
and then drastically change course, like 90 degree angle and shoot up and just disappear. And there's no way that that came from our planet, our dimension. It's just not possible with the technology that we have right now. The technology that we know we have. That we know we have right now. And certainly it wouldn't be a manned craft with human beings on it. They could not survive those types of um, radical movements and speed. But again, that's making a lot of assumptions. Like there is, I think, a great possibility that there could be inventions and technology on Earth that we are unaware of. Oh, of course. And for a long time, people thought that women couldn't handle moving in cars because their uteruses would fly out. Uteri? That's true. Uteri? So is it uteruses or uteri? (laughs) There have also been examples of witnesses reporting objects that suddenly just disappear. They're there and they dematerialize. The DH suggests that these objects may be moving between dimensions, which would explain their sudden and unexpected movements. Another argument in favor of the dimensional hypothesis is the idea that many UFO sightings are associated with paranormal activity. For example, some witnesses have reported seeing entities or beings associated with these sightings. There have been many uh, reports of abductions. Additionally, there are reports of UFO sightings that coincide with other paranormal phenomena such as crop circles or strange animal behavior. Have you seen the footage that somebody alleged to have captured of a crop circle being created? No, I don't think so. It's been analyzed by experts who say that they can't prove that it's been faked in any way, but they can't prove that it's real either. It's kind of like Mm -hmm. in a a gray area, but it shows like glowing orbs flying in patterns over the field and underneath it, you can see the the crops just crushed down into into a pattern. They have witnesses that say that there was no pattern there earlier in the day. Then there are witnesses that say they saw this and filmed it. And then it was determined to be actually true that there was this crop circle in the middle of that field. Okay. So it's it's pretty compelling, but no, it's pretty compelling. <laughs> this theory suggests that these phenomena may be connected as they're all, they're all manifestations of entities from other dimensions. And that in, in the case of crop circles, maybe it's their way of trying to communicate with us from another dimension. I still love the theory that crop circles are time stamps for time travelers. I just love that idea. I wish somebody would write a a movie script based on that. And that theory does make sense because the crop circle is only there for a short period of time. And Mm. if you're traveling through time, it would be like a signpost. Okay, this is the year uh, 2017, for example, or 2040 or whatever it is. It seems like if you have the technology to travel in and out of dimensions, probably you don't need to press down corn. (laughs) So if the DH is true, it would have significant implications for our understanding of the universe and our place in it. For one, it would suggest that there are, of course, entities or beings that exist beyond our current understanding of reality. And this could have implications for our religious and philosophical beliefs, as well as our scientific understanding of the universe. Also, if UFOs are manifestations of entities from other dimensions, it would suggest that these entities are able to interact with our world in ways that we cannot fully understand. And this 
could have implications for our understanding of consciousness and the true nature of reality. Mm. It would also suggest that there may be ways for us to access other dimensions and interact with entities from those dimensions. This could have implications on our technology and our ability to explore the universe beyond our planet. And the idea that our rapid ascension in technological knowledge over the past half century, many people say it's due to reversed engineering, reverse engineering of UFO craft with the idea that the craft are extraterrestrial. But even if they were interdimensional, we could be reverse engineering that too. So interdimensional beings, if they exist, could likely interact with our dimension in ways that are difficult for us to fully understand. But in addition to UFO sightings, perhaps being evidence of interdimensional beings visiting us, many things can fit into that category. It could manifest as apparitions. Interdimensional beings could also manifest themselves as ghosts. Things that we call ghosts might be beings from other dimensions, which essentially, I think by definition, that's what a ghost would be regardless of where it originally came from. Oh, I see what you're saying. And because they appear briefly and then disappear with a warning, many people think that it fits into that uh, that category. Time slips. Some people believe that interdimensional beings could cause time slips or time anomalies, where time seems to slow down or speed up. Those have been reported in alleged UFO abductions. There have also been reports of uh, missing time and lost memories. They could interact with us through our dreams or consciousness. Some people report having vivid dreams or experiences that seem to be connected to interdimensional beings or other paranormal phenomena. And that reminds me of my experience when I was a kid in the hospital and that being stepped out of the wood grain on the door in my room mm. and walked you mean over. when your brain was crazy and you were in a extremely stressful state and... Yeah, I'd been in a coma for 36 hours. Yeah, but probably interdimensional. <laughs> Maybe it just heightened my sense of awareness. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe your being in a coma was essentially being in a float tank. The, the weird thing about being in a coma was... <laughs> that's such a great way to start a sentence. <laughs> it's... You know, you see it in movies and stuff, or or you hear people talk about how when they were in a coma, they went to another place, and maybe it was a near-death experience kind of thing, or they just had vivid dreams, or maybe they were somewhat aware of their surroundings during the time. With me, my from my perspective, it was like somebody took 36 hours out of my life and just edited it out and then spliced it together. Mm. It would be like you sitting at the kitchen table drinking your orange juice and the next second you're face down in a bed in a hospital 400 miles away. Yeah. So what is reality really? Anyway, glitches in electronics or interfering with communication systems, those are often associated with UFO activity or hauntings too. Right. And, it, and they could be interacting with us that way, EVPs, those sorts of things. Now, you, you might find this surprising, but there are people that are that, that are critics of this theory. Huh. Um, one of the main criticisms of uh, the DH is the lack of physical evidence to support it. While there are many reports <laughs> of UFO sightings and associated paranormal phenomena, there is little physical evidence that can be directly attributed to entities from other dimensions. So what you're saying is that there are some who don't buy into this theory because of the complete lack of evidence. I'm also saying that 
just because there's no physical evidence doesn't mean it's not true. Yeah, no, I mean, that's what your your whole vibe has been. But what also what you're saying is that there are some. Oh, there are who, some. Oh, yeah. who don't buy into it because yeah. of the complete lack of evidence. <laughs> Idiots. Okay. If entities from another dimension are interacting with our world, why would they do so? What is their purpose or their motivation? How do they choose when and where to appear? Some critics argue that uh, the DH is not testable or falsifiable because we can't directly observe or measure the entities from other dimensions. It's uh, difficult to design experiments to test that sort of thing because we never know when it's going to happen. It's true. So in conclusion, UFOs are real. (laughs) Well, yeah. We just don't know what they are. That's right. If the theory of UFOs coming from another dimension uh, rather than outer space is real, it's 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 certainly, whether it's real or not, it's fascinating and intri- an intriguing possibility. And regardless of where UFOs come from, whether it's another dimension or outer space or from the future, the phenomena of UFO sightings remains a fascinating and important area of study. By continuing to investigate these sightings and considering alternate explanations for them, we may be able to gain a better understanding of the universe that, that we live in. And there are people, there are people that think that um, perhaps Bigfoot is an interdimensional being. Right, I've heard that one. Yeah, but my thought is, if you're smart enough to move from one dimension to another, wear some pants and take a bath, for the love of God. Are you slut-shaming Bigfoot? Well, I wouldn't be the first. My source information, Discovery, Scientific American, and Smithsonian, oh, and Wikipedia. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames, and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code oddities at checkout. And you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, If you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. 
Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings, while kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. And now... That thing in the middle. There once was a parrot named Nigel. Nigel vanished from his owner's house in Britain in 2010. After a few weeks, Nigel was presumed dead. But four years later, he just showed up and flew back in his owner's window. Nobody knows where he went. But he came back speaking only Spanish and talking about some guy named Larry. Max sent us an email. Hey, you fantastic freak founders. Just listened to episode number 531, and I've got something to share. I think you all can appreciate that many of the studies JG discussed appeared on Reddit under r slash board scientists, where one of my personal favorites is about a case titled Farting as a Defense Against Unspeakable Dread. (laughs) (laughs) Damn, how did I miss that one? Having the episode kick off by talking about Frito feet and leading to 2AP, I thought you'd like one of my fun facts. Have you ever sipped a beer that's had an off flavor that kind of tastes like wet cardboard? I envy you if you haven't, but it's a sign the beer has gone bad. That flavor, though, is caused by... (gasps) Wet cardboard? Yes, the end. (laughs) It's caused by the aldehyde trans-2-nonial. It's the same process that starts building up in humans as we age and causing that old people smell, which everyone is familiar with. (laughs) So if your beer tastes like wet cardboard, you're drinking old people smell. Cheers from your faithful freak follower and beer peddler, Mac. That's so much fun and weird. (laughs) Mac, you fit right into this group. Savvy sent us a message and said, "Um, Hi, I'm Savvy. I'm listening to episode number 529. Earlier in the episode, may have been the one before, JG said, Savannah, Well, then a commercial in the episode said savvy. And right after that one, a deep man voice guy said Alaska. Well, my birth name is Savannah and my preferred name is savvy. And I live in Alaska. Well, that's weird. I think this is a very boo effect, though very specific to me. (laughs) (laughs) Anywho, hope you have a rad day. Thanks, savvy. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. 
I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I was tagged in a TikTok by Bella's Facts, and I couldn't wait to learn more about the video about the underwater post office (laughs) located in Vanuatu. (laughs) I didn't know this was a thing. So I looked it up, and first of all, uh, Vanuatu was where that season of Survivor was located, where uh, Julie from Maine was on that season. By the way, I am slowly making my way through Survivor. I'm on like season eight, I think. Yeah, you're all the way up to like 2009. (laughs) So I'm so mad about some things that are happening, but they happened over a decade ago. And I don't know how to (laughs) how to process that. that. Yeah. Yeah, it's an emotional conundrum. Right. Vanuatu is a South Pacific Ocean nation made up of roughly 80 islands. And of course, being made up of islands means that you're very water dependent. And that might lead to some water-based activities that Mm -hmm. maybe those of us who don't live near that much water uh, aren't familiar with. Like mailing a package. Like mailing a package. Located nine feet underwater near Hideaway Island is a functioning post office opened in 2003. There are waterproof postcards available for purchase at the gift shop. Um, And instead of stamping the postcard with ink, the underwater clerk will use an embossed cancellation device to approve the mail. So there is an underwater postal clerk. Mm -hmm. Neither rain nor snow nor being underwater apparently will... Tsunami. Right. Yeah. That's got to be a little inconvenient, though, if you if you have to like mail a letter and you're not diving certified. <laughs> a flag is raised above water to indicate the employee is present and you can dive down to to mail your letter. Um, and when the letter is ready to go, they dive down and they get the letter and they bring it to the other <laughs> post office. 
Susami is a quaint fishing village located in Japan, and it holds the record for creating the world's first underwater mailbox. Now, there's a difference between post office and mailbox, and so there mm-hmm. I will be talking about both during this. But yeah, entirely, we're talking about weird post office situations today. This underwater mailbox was created as part of a fair in 1999 to promote the Komondo Kodo pilgrimage trail and surrounding areas in the southern part of the peninsula. Every year, the mailbox receives between 1,000 and 1,500 pieces of mail, and 32,000 pieces of mail have been posted in the underwater mailbox since its creation. For a long time, it remained the deepest underwater post box globally, reaching a depth of 10 meters until Malaysia created another underwater mailbox. That's located in Palau Liang Liang, Malaysia, and it's now the world's deepest underwater post box. It's situated at a depth of 40 meters. Wow. Boy, they really took that to an extreme. You know what? We're going to take this world record from you, and we're going to do it by a lot. That's the competitive nature of sub-aqua postal facilities. Postcards from here are sealed in waterproof plastic bags with a special postmark and the Malaysia Book of World Records logo. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. The Reeser Underwater Post Office in Norway. It's a post office constructed by the use of a diving bell, and it was built as a tourist attraction, as many of these are. It's located on the ocean floor in Reeser, which is actually a small town on the Norwegian coast. Visitors post their mail in a post box by the pier, which are then emptied, sealed into a watertight bag, and then taken down to the underwater post office. That seems silly. (laughs) Inside that post office's dry environment, the mail is stamped and returned back to the surface, where it then (laughs) enters back into normal post circulation. It basically just gets stamped underwater. The local tourism board and local businesses were able to keep it from being shut down in 2011 as it didn't get a ton of business. Sure, yeah. (laughs) It's not very self-sufficient. I wasn't able to get a more recent update on what may have happened to it, but Google now says that it's permanently closed. So I don't know if it's still a thing or not. Located on the outskirts of the Everglades in Ochopee, Florida, is the tiniest post office in the United States. It was originally a shed that stored (laughs) irrigation materials for a tomato farm. This was a gardening shed. Yeah. (laughs) Now a, a postal facility. That's right. But I guess in 1953, there was a huge fire that demolished the local store that the post office was in. So they just temporarily, I suppose, relocated the post to this 56 square foot space, but then they decided, eh, it works. So it's been a post office ever since. It reminds me of the uh, little store, corner store in our former hometown in Glenburn, Maine, right outside of Bangor, Maine. Just a mom and pop convenience store. And part of it, there was a, 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 not a big area, it looks like a former shed, was a post office facility, a pizza kitchen. Yep. You could mail your letters and your packages and get a hoagie. That's that's where I worked for a while. You and did, yeah. It was very interesting. <laughs> I didn't really think about it until just now, but I've worked at a lot of convenience stores. Yes, you have. <laughs> 
Now, this particular post office can only accommodate one clerk because, again, it's 56 square feet, but it does cater to the needs of the town uh, that has a population of about 11. So it works out okay. Okay. Yeah. The world's highest post office is situated in the village of Hikkim, located in the Spiti Valley of Hishamal Pradesh, and it's undergone renovation. It's in India. It now boasts a building shaped like a letterbox, which is kind of fun. So oh, it's that's a, cool. It's a post office that's at the highest point, and it looks like a post box. It's located at an altitude of 14,567 feet above sea level, and it holds the distinction of being the world's highest post office. The unique design of the building is intended to attract more tourists, and postcards sent from there bear a special message indicating that they were sent from the highest post office on the planet. So in theory, could you go there and mail a postcard from the highest position on the planet to the underwater post office, which is the lowest position on the planet. I don't see why not. Well, my bucket list just got a little bit longer. Keep in mind, though, that uh, located at a breathtaking elevation of 17,000 feet in Tibet, the China post office at EBC says that they are the world's highest post office. And that's been operational since 2008. It might not seem like it's a super convenient location, but it is convenient for those who are traveling to the Everest Base Camp. Uh, They can send postcards before embarking on their journey to Mount Everest, which is actually kind of a fun little, oh, before we go up the the big hill, we're going to send someone something. Probably never hear from me again. Oh, stop. They'll be using my frozen corpse as a trail marker. Given that Mount Everest is a huge tourist attraction, drawing millions of visitors annually, uh, particularly to the base camp, this post office is a useful addition, and it's set up in a tent. But that might be why people don't consider it an official post office, is because it's just, it's not really a solid location. It's not a permanent structure. It's a tent. Not brick and mortar. Right. And also not Rick and Morty. Certainly not. The Gondola Post Office in Venice, Italy, is a very unique floating post office. It operates from a gondola on the city's waterways, and it was established in 1891. It's since, obviously, become a very popular tourist attraction. It is exactly like you'd picture. It's one of those long boats. There's a person with a stripy shirt and I inevitably like some sort of cute little hat (laughs) with a long stick who's just pushing this boat picking up mail. It's adorable. That is very picturesque. Right? They deliver mail to various neighborhoods of Venice. They also sell postage stamps and envelopes to tourists who wish to send a postcard or letter from this unique post location. The Gondola Post Office has become an iconic symbol of Venice, and it's a testament to the world's rich history and culture. And of course, because so many of these Venice locations are on the water, it just makes good sense. This is all very fascinating. I um, I think I would really enjoy doing a tour based on unusual post offices around the world. So many different ways to lose your package. The Grand Canyon houses a remote Native American village that solely relies on mules for its mail delivery. The community can only be reached through mule, foot, or helicopter. 
June Marie Brandt wrote on the USPS blog about the process, highlighting how sometimes traditional methods, like traveling by way of mule, are the most effective in order to offer quality service. If you want something to be consistent, sometimes the way it's always been done is the best way. I think probably if they were going to go by helicopter, they'd have to raise the price of postage stamps. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Situated on Goiter Island. Is that how that's pronounced? I don't think so. Goiter Island. <laughs> <laughs> Goiter Island. That would be a postmark I'd love to get a letter from. Situated on Godier Island, 7,000 miles south of Argentina, you'll find... The Penguin Post Office. Now we're talking. Yeah, it's in Antarctica, and it holds the distinction of being the southernmost post office globally. It derives its name from a colony of penguins that frequently inhabit the area. I would like to think of them as post employees, yeah. um, personally. <laughs> Wearing little old-fashioned postman caps. <laughs> Carrying satchels of mail. There's about 3,000 of the penguins. And yeah, I, I think that they are all very dedicated employees. Of course. Port Lockroy houses a small historical museum and a gift shop. It was once a port for whaling fleets. However, the Penguin Post Office remains the most sought-after attraction, with around 70,000 postcards dispatched from the unique <laughs> office annually. The opportunity to send a letter from the end of the earth continues to entice people. I would think, though, that it's really the penguins. It's the penguins. Now, this location is the second oldest continuously operating post office in the United States. Its origins date back to 1817. Hmm. And in 1833, the federal government began leasing it before eventually purchasing it. It's the Castine Post Office. Castine, Maine? Castine, Maine. Now, that's an island, right? Castine no. is an island? It's not an island? I don't think so. Okay. That's why I have to look that up now. I know it's coastal. Castine is a coastal town, and it's on the Register of Historic Places. It is a quaint, adorable town home to a very delightful Simmons family, uh, who we love very much, and a great place to view fireworks, I'm just saying. <laughs> it's uh, ridiculously expensive, too. It is. I've spent many 4th of July's, 4ths of July? Yes, I would say 4ths of July. 4ths of July there. They've also got a really cute bookstore, I'm just saying. The area was settled by Europeans 70 years prior to the landing of the pilgrims at Plymouth Rock. Wow. So, I mean, it's historic in all the ways. And then it's got this bonus second oldest continuously operating post office in the United States, which I think is just good fun to know about Castine, Maine, a place that I love. The oldest continuously operating post office is actually in New Hampshire. Boo. It hired a female postmaster, by the way, in 1888. So, oh, I mean. That's progressive. It's not It's not entirely boo. You know why I said boo. I get it. <clears throat> I got my information from Amusing Planet, Trip and Z, Trip Trivia, BakerGoodChild.uk, and Cheapism. And so many of them, they hold world records. That would be a fun episode, just really weird world records that are held. I don't think we've done that, have we? I did one. Oh, uh, makes sense. I don't listen when you're talking. <laughs> And then I talked about the guy who had the most world records, and he had the world record for world records. That's right. I remember that. That was just really fun. Thank you. As you know, a portion of the proceeds from our Patreon account goes to charity, and each 
quarter our patrons vote on which charity gets the money. Yeah, 10% of our patron proceeds goes to a charity that the Order of Freaks vote on. I look forward to it every time. I wanted to say thank you to everyone who voted this time and congratulations to the Soy Dog Foundation uh, with 40% of the vote uh, getting this quarter's dollars. And if you would like to get involved with the Order of Freaks on Patreon or and even the Elite Inner Circle. And get to voting. Go to our website, theboxofoddities.com. Click on support this podcast or whatever it says and we'll see you next time until then keep flying that freak flag fly it proudly you beautiful freak and so let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands we wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage the box of on Facebook at facebook.com slash box of oddities podcast on Twitter at box of oddities and Instagram at box of oddities podcast copyright 2023 all rights reserved. Um, I am going to check on how to pronounce this pronouns. I looked it up yesterday and did it matter? No. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.